Good People, Cool Things is a podcast featuring conversations with entrepreneurs, writers, musicians, and other creatives. Get inspired by their stories to do your own cool thing. And here's your host, Joey Held. Welcome to Good People, Cool Things. Today's guest is Morgan Quaid, a writer and composer based all the way across the world from me in Australia. Morgan's talking how we got into this wild world of comics, some of the mistakes he made early on, and even though fail fast is kind of a cliche, we talk about why it's good to make some mistakes as you're getting into whatever creative endeavor you're working on. Morgan also talks about composing music, some of the fun things that he's learned along the way there. Some of uh, his curmudgeonly old coot type of behaviors and attitudes towards playing music live and why he sticks to just composing music nowadays. If you're ever like, hey, I want to do a crowdfunding campaign for my next creative endeavor, Morgan has done several crowdfunding campaigns. He shares what's worked, what hasn't, and how you can make them a little more fun. Even though they are a lot of hard work, you can add some excitement and energy to them. Always a good time. If you want to get even more great, wonderful tips, head on over to goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Sign up for the mailing list, which gets thrown into your inbox just a couple times a month. It's not anything wild. You're not going to have 3,000 emails by the time you hit submit. Very simple, very wonderful, just like this conversation with Morgan. For people who might not be familiar with you, can you give us your name and elevator pitch and then the type of elevator that we're riding on? Okay, I will, but I'll do it in reverse order. So it is a glass elevator in deference to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory uh, and that sort of stuff. Um, Oh, I shouldn't have done it in reverse. Now I've forgotten everything. (laughs) Uh, I I am a uh, writer, music composer, um, uh, chocolate connoisseur, I don't know. Uh, And uh, my name is Morgan Quaid. And I, whatever the elevator pitch was, I've messed up. So uh, find me and read my stuff. There you go. There's my elevator pitch. You won't regret it. We'll get into all this. I think that was great. I think that that sounded great. We'll get into all of that stuff. But you mentioned chocolate connoisseur in your yeah. initial pitch there. So what's what are we talking here? Are we like like bars of chocolate, chocolate cakes, chocolate ice cream, all the above? What is it? Anything anything unfortunately um yeah if it's chocolate then it it wants to be in me and i i want to (laughs) have it in me um yeah no i'm a big um chocolate fan i think it's a horrible evil thing that has ruined (laughs) ruined the world for many people but it's just amazing it's one of those it's one of those things that whatever setup our our brain is is wired for you know in evolutionary terms or whatever chocolate for me is the thing that just you know, sets up all of the uh, all of the alarms, all of the buttons, all the bells and whistles, <laughs> and just yeah. So we have to limit the amount of chocolate we have. Yeah, but anyway, very fair. Very fair. I'm, so I'm you certainly not a connoisseur. I, I, I certainly okay. Don't, I don't know a good chocolate from a bad chocolate. <laughs> I know uh, chocolate, and that I want it, and that's it. I'm not. A, I'm, I'm more of a milk guy than a than a dark chocolate though. But, okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think I think that's enough to qualify as a connoisseur. I don't know yeah. what the uh, the official standing is, but something like that, something like that. So, aside from chocolate, you've also written comics and short stories and novels, and you have a lot of different work that's out there. Like you said, you're telling people to go go find it. Hopefully, by the end of this episode, they'll be smitten and they'll want to <laughs> read everything that you've done. But to me, at least from from an outside eye, since I have never written comics before, is there 
kind of a ma- like a massive difference between the sort of writing process for a comic versus a short story versus a novel, or do you kind of take the same approach to all of them? Uh, I think, yeah, there's definitely a a mechanical difference between how they're represented to readers, um, how they're consumed. So you kind of have to um, appreciate that when you're writing. And it's, it's a hard, hard thing because you're, so the story ideas and the, the way that I would construct a story and everything is pretty much the same, whatever format it's in. Um, you know, plot and, and characters and all those sorts of things. Um, but how it's presented is, is different. And for, for instance, comics, you have to be a, a lot briefer than, than what you would be uh, with a novel. A novel, you, for me as well, the sort of writer that I am, a novel, I'm always pushing myself to, to have the reader in the back of my head saying to me, more detail, dude, more detail. You need to tell us more. You need to give us more of what's going on. Why are they feeling this? Because I tend to write very quickly and very action-oriented stuff, um, which means I'm always in a hurry to get to the point. I, I, so I sometimes don't enjoy the journey. So on, you know, whereas with comics, it's much more obviously visual, and there are there's limited space within each page for text. So you have to minimize the text, and you have to think about what's another way I can say this that still gets the message across, but it's not using you know fancy pants words that I I like to use in novels and other areas. Um, so yeah, you have to kind of respect the that the difficulty is how much does that influence you when you're writing, um, and I'm still struggling with that. So I will tend to just write the same kind of way, more or less, uh, and then in the editing process, that's where I'll I'll shape it to fit the the medium a little bit more. Um, and script writing is is a recent thing that I've started doing, which is that's a whole other thing as well. Um, the most recent one that I've written is for a, a horror a horror film, which a director friend of mine is actually going to put together. So it's a bizarre thing because it's not just writing a script and hoping someone picks it up. It's writing a script for a director who already has a cast. It's like all backwards. So he already knows the, the actors that are going to do this thing. So that was a bit of a head spin as well because, like, I don't know if this actor could pull this off. Where, you know, <laughs> who knows? Anyway, but, yeah, so it's, I hope that answers the, the question. Have you gotten feedback on the the script that, like, have you done anything that maybe an actor can't pull off? Well, I don't know. Yeah, so the feedback I've got is was very good, and he loves it, and there were minimal edits and minimal changes. We kind of spoke all the way through, um, and that's really good, but it's also kind of like, but, but dude, how are you going to? Like there, there's some of it that's just uh, a little bit gory or action-oriented and stuff, and I think, well, yeah, you could do that with makeup and prosthetics and all that sort of stuff. But there, there's a certain sort of dream vision sequence in there, and I'm thinking, yeah, you're going to need to add a ton of effects to to make this thing, you know, seem real. And I, I think there's ways to do it. I think I curtailed a lot of the really crazy, wacky stuff that I might might do if it was a you know blockbuster film, um, and tried to really nail it down to okay, if you've got human characters doing this stuff most of the time for the film, um, how can you you know do that? But we'll see. There are a few things. I have no idea the range of the actors or anything or what I'm asking them to do. Um, so we'll see. But he knows them. So he, he'll do the translating and he'll change the script as needed. Yes. And are we, uh, we going to get a glimpse of you on screen too? I know sometimes writers and directors will, will kind of throw themselves in as a, a little cameo appearance. Is, is that in the cards for you? Did you try to work yourself in there? I... I... 
uh, out of sheer vanity, I did at one stage have <laughs> there. There is a character in there who is kind of a like an oracle sort of uh, figure. Man, talk talk about the ego. Anyway, so there's this oracle sort of character. <laughs> Uh, and the idea was originally going to be there was a sort of broken 80s style television um, that they tune to a certain frequency and then they have a bit of a blood sacrifice thing and it conjures up this image of this character who who they converse with from this kind of other world. Um, and I was going to do that because I thought, that's perfect. I can record that here at home. It doesn't matter if it's a bit grainy and whatnot. That'll actually suit the suit the thing. Um, and you know, he could just, you know, superimpose it on that TV and then uh, I'd be in the film <laughs> and I just thought it doesn't fit with anything else as, you know, it's, it, there's a lot of organic kind of natural stuff within the thing. So in the end, the, the Oracle is actually a, a, a recently buried body that they sort of scrape the dirt away from his face and, you know, it's, which I can't do cause I'm not there uh, in the U S um yeah so there was a moment then i'm writing another one at the moment which i don't know how because it's potentially going to be a a western horror and i think how the hell am i going to get myself into that um so we'll see one day one day i'll pop myself into one of the films for sure but um not yet vanity didn't win uh this time around sanity (laughs) prevailed fortunately Vanity is under the surface, bubbling a little bit. I like it. I like it. It is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get my face out there, man. That's what it's all about. Getting your face out there. Exactly. Exactly. Let the world see your your star shining there. <laughs> That's right. Now, going back to comics, because I mean, I'm I'm always impressed by really anyone that can can create a comic because I cannot, for the life of me, draw. Like I my my. I'd say my best drawing is a an evil Mrs. Pac-Man uh, that randomly has a goatee. I don't know how this evolved, but that's about that's about out, which is you know pretty pretty crude drawing, I think, by any standards. And was there was this something that you were always kind of into growing up? Did you have a favorite comic uh, or, or anything like that while you were getting started, or, or was this kind of something you discovered later in life? Yeah, definitely later in life. Uh, as a kid, I wasn't really into comics. Mainly because if you look back at the the earlier comics from you know sort of seventies uh, and eighties, um, there uh, there was too much text for me. There, there was images, cool stuff happening, but way too much reading. So I, I was kind of confused and was thinking I would either want to read a book or watch a movie. I don't want to have to kind of do both in in that format. So it was a bit stressful for me. So I, I just didn't really take it, and I was never really into the whole superhero thing for some reason it didn't i mean you know i've watched you know every batman movie and you know all marvel movies and all that sort of stuff um and dc for those that are out there so we don't get upset (laughs) um so i'll watch anything and i'll enjoy them and and all the rest of it but yeah when i was a kid i wasn't really into that uh i'd been writing novels for a few years uh, as a failed novelist um trying to break through to the publishing um market and, and that's that's a a pathway to misery and suffering um and while i was in that sort of state you know working a job that i really didn't like uh and thinking about where i wanted to go and what i wanted to do i walked into a comic book shop in, in uh in the city um and found all of these indie comics and thought oh hang on this is not what i'm used to this isn't superheroes this is like you know real stories and all sorts of you know anything from horror right through to drama and action, crime, all that sort of stuff. So I grabbed a whole bunch of comics, started reading everything that I could get my hands on. 
um, and then thought, this is amazing. I need to do this. I need to transition the novels that I've got, the stories that I've got into comic form. And then I just started doing it and, and proceeded to make every possible mistake you could make um, from the beginning. So I, I'm, I'm a writer. I'm not an artist. Um, I can do graphic design sort of stuff, but I'm not, not an illustrator by any stretch. Um, so the first step was to find artists and, and, and all of that, that sort of bizzo. Um, which was great, but but yeah, like I said, I've made every possible mistake you could make. Um, I knew nothing. I, I didn't do the thing you should do, which is respect the medium, do your research properly before you start. No, no, I just jumped straight in and just started making them. So some of my earlier comics, um, the lettering is all wrong. There's way too much text. I, I recently actually re <laughs> remastered, if that's the word you use for comics, um, a series, the first series that I did, uh, a, a series called Idle Thuggery which ironically is a superhero story, but it's from the perspective of an up-and-coming henchman. So it's kind of like the henchman story of, you know, their miserable life under a, an arch-villain. Um, and I redid that, and it took months and months because I, I'd literally just grabbed a novel and stuck it <laughs> on top of a comic <laughs> format. There's too, way too many words. And, I mean, I was reading it and getting bored, so, you know, I had to reshape that. that was, that was, also, the formatting was off, but... Um, yeah. Anyway, make mistakes, kids. That's what it's all about. Learn from your mistakes. <laughs> make as many as you can, as quickly as you can. What's that thing that they say, that, that horrendously annoying thing in, in business speak? Um, fail oh, fast. About failing fast, yeah. Fail fast, yeah, that's it. <laughs> fail fast, fail often. You love, yeah, you love to see it. Love to see a good, good <laughs> failure. <laughs> now, you're also, on top of, of all of the things that we've, we've already talked about, you're also a composer. And I think by my count, I see, I'm going to say 10 guitars and banjos behind you, <laughs> uh, which is great for an audio podcast to call that out, but, but just yeah. want to set the scene. And I mean, it looks like there's, uh, I don't know if there's some records and, and albums mixed in with the books as well, but in any case, there's, there's clearly a love of music there. There's, uh, or at least a, a collector of music. So was there a, a particular song or artist that was made you think like, oh, I want to, I want to make music like for me. I would say it was the Beach Boys, where it was my first like foray into what music that was really well put together could sound like. If that makes sense, like just like the harmonies and like the the different layerings they have on there. And I mean, I was probably like eight or nine when I first heard them, and I don't think I really understood particularly Brian Wilson's uh, chaotic genius until yeah. much later <laughs> in life. But I, that was the the first artist where I remember being like, okay, like this is something special and like made me want to to pursue playing music on my own and i don't think i in any case uh, have i have come close to accomplishing something like a good <laughs> vibrations but i uh, it's it's and the style of music i make is certainly not even in that realm but it's it, that's always the one that i come back to so was there someone like that for you or did you just kind of be like hey i want to play music one day there's, there's probably two phases to that. So the, I grew up in a very strict religious um, uh, evangelical household. So uh, anything from the, the Bee Gees to uh, the Beach Boys or anything, they were all evil and, you know, of the world and you, you can't have anything to do. So my early years, I have this huge gap in my musical knowledge, like ridiculously bad. The, the only references I understand from that era uh, from films that I would watch that had little snippets of, so usually the chorus or part of the chorus or, or whatever it might be. Um, 
so I do, of course, have, you know, the Petras and the Amy Grants and the, you know, uh, Michael, uh, Michael W. Smith. Yeah. So, so many Christian bands from that when I grew up that, that were influential. Um, and we're, we're kind of doing the same sort of music that the, quote, secular world was doing during that time. But, it, but it, it's a, a, a strange filter to view music through. Then when I was a teenager, um, so I, I learned guitar when I was younger and then didn't really do anything with it. Then when I was a teenager, I picked up the guitar, started with a band at school and then learned bass, learned drums. Because, you know, you're in a band, you just want to try everything. So tried it all. Um, and then, um, yeah, I, I really started to get into it. And that's when grunge was starting to to come out. So uh, Silverchair and, of course, Nirvana. And Although I still wasn't allowed to listen to Nirvana, but uh, yeah, enough of it kind of seeped through. So I got really heavy into the, the grunge scene. Um, uh, believe it or not, probably the most influential musician, and this is weird to say, is Joe Satriani. Because, A, he was a guitarist and an amazing guitarist, but also because there were no lyrics to his his music, I was allowed to listen to them <laughs> through this whole period. And I was allowed to, you know, learn how to play the sort of stuff that he was playing. So that's how I taught myself guitar and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah, weirdly, it's it's Joe Satriani because it was the, the one type of music I was allowed to listen to when I'm growing up. And it just sort of went from there, yeah. Nice, nice. And when you're composing music, do you take anything from writing like like has being a writer of comics and stories shaped how you compose music is there still kind of like a similar sort of like storytelling element to it or is it completely two different worlds there there's there's one very clear similarity and it's it only dawned on me a couple of years ago that the in both cases the way i write typically and the way that i'll compose typically is I'm looking for that, to use Rob Ross's uh, term, happy accident. I'm, I'm trying to experiment with something until I find something that works without being too structured. And so you'll start with structure and then you, so writing, for example, I'll start with an essential plot point or a problem or a something, and then I will make things as complicated and dramatic and heart-wrenching as possible, <clears throat> confusing everything and everyone. <laughs> with no idea how I'm going to get out of it um, purposely because it, that leads to, well, how, how would these characters get out of it? But, uh, you almost have to ask them, what, what would you do in this, this particular circumstance? Um, and it's a similar sort of thing with music. I don't like, there are certain styles that I really like, uh, and believe it or not, Latin music is, is a big influence. And I, I learnt originally classical guitar and then did Latin, not, not flamenco, but Latin-inspired sort of music. I've done quite a bit of that. So I love that style. Um, uh, so I'll start with something I know, but then always be trying to search for something a little bit different, a little bit odd, a little bit quirky, whether it's how the, you know, the sound is made or what sort of chords are used or the timing or anything like that. Yeah. So it's that same kind of searching for that unexpected moment where you, you capture lightning in a bottle and then you listen to it or watch it or read it again. And you think, wow, that, however that thing happened, that was that was awesome, and I want to somehow do more of that. But it's not—it's—it's it's never a thing that it feels like you've done. It, it's always something you feel like you've just discovered, uh, like <laughs> striking gold or, or oil or something like that. Yeah. So, have you also taken these songs and performed them live? 
Oh God, no! Um, that's <laughs> that's too daunting and too much work. I'm a much uh, much better producer and you know arranger than I am a musician. I'll put it that way. Um, and and I, I really don't want to do have to do the amount of work I would need to do um, to be really viable. You know, in a, in a sort of live setting, I, I have been in bands that have played you know live gigs. The other thing is, I'm also such a crutchety old dude. Um, even in, in my 20s and 30s, I still was a crotchety old dude. So I, I would play gigs and we were in a great band. The sound was great. The singer-songwriter was, was amazing. And I'd be looking out at the crowd thinking, why are you here? It's like a, it's a, <laughs> why, why would you come out? And it's like 12 o'clock and you know, it's late and we're all tired. And So I was kind of never, I never really had the personality to be out late at night doing that sort of stuff. Um, so studio work just suits me down to a T because I can <laughs> do the amazing stuff and make things sound. Also, just editing, being being able to do a solo that is impossible for me to do without weeks and weeks and weeks of work, but I can cobble it together and it sounds amazing. Right. That's fantastic. <laughs> Let's just do that and move on. Um, so, yeah, so not really big on the live uh, live scene. Nice, nice. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on the late night. I playing playing in a band. There's been times where yeah, it's been like a Tuesday, and you know if you're if you're towards the end of the lineup, you're never on at your scheduled time because everyone yep. goes over, and then it takes longer to set it. Like they're they're giving you like five minutes in between sets to get everything off and get new stuff on. It's like that, that's that doesn't work. Like even if we're sprinting and like you know we're we're with the efficiency of a NASCAR pit team like it's still going to take longer than five minutes and i've had that same mindset before and our next show we're one of the first bands which is very exciting Ooh, uh so i'm good. i'm like all right we could get and it's on a weekend anyway so it's not like the worst thing in the world but we're i i imagine we'll be done by 10 o'clock at the latest and i'm like all right that's good this is the ideal show <laughs> yeah I, my, my the 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 straw that uh broke the camel's back for me was um we got there at seven at night and we played at one in the morning the Oof. next day. And we had to watch all of the bands. And one of the bands, I'd never forget, they were all these young, young guys. Um, six guitars. Uh, six, six guitars. One of them had slide. One was acoustic. All the rest were electric. One had a slide. One had, you know, those things that whiz around that make the kind of humming hmm. sort of, sort of yeah. thing? Had one of them. It was just such a, a cacophony of noise and guitars and just you it was unintelligible you couldn't understand it but but clearly everyone wanted to be the guitarist so it was <laughs> and then my band comes up at the end and, and I'm dead tired at this time we have one guitarist and that is that is me we have a guitarist bass player drummer singer and that's it and the sound was was great and all that anyway so but yeah that kind of did it for me I thought I, I can't I can't waste this I can't burn this amount of time on nothing just to you know get up and be angry about my life and <laughs> the people that have come out <laughs> these good people that have come out to see me where i wouldn't go out to see any other band because i'm so crutchety anyway, <laughs> that was what did it it's nice to identify that at least you can you can move on to more more productive things <laughs> yeah exactly exactly correct me if this is incorrect but from what i can gather you've done some crowdfunding campaigns in the past so i think that's that's certainly become more common over the past few years for you know we've even seen still my favorite example of this is the drummer josh freeze 
who I uh, has drummed for probably every band to ever exist at some point mm. in life. He's at least played one show with them. So the opposite of us being crotchety. He's like, I'll play whenever, I'll do it. And he had a solo album that I, this must have been like 13 years ago now when this album came out, but I still remember it because he did a crowdfunding uh, campaign more so to just highlight the album. Like, I don't think he was expecting yeah. people to actually take advantage and like donate money to it, but he his his uh different perks that he offered were all outrageous there was one where he i think it was like ten thousand dollars he'd go to disneyland with you and then at the end of the day he'd sell you his car so you're going home with a car and a fun day maybe a picture from a roller coaster and like another one he was a cabana boy for a week and it's just like the the uh, ridiculousness of it is really what i think what stuck with me and he even said in some sort of interview around there he was like yeah i don't expect people to take advantage of these but like you know wanted to draw attention to the album and i was like well i still remember this 13 years later so yeah mission accomplished there so for for you in your crowdfunding experience what have you found has worked well and has there been anything where you're like oh this is gonna really move the needle and it didn't (laughs) that second one there's been tons (laughs) of things where i've assumed hey this is people are gonna love this nothing (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely love it. Yeah, there's been there's many examples of that. Um, you got to try a bunch of stuff, and most of the stuff I try doesn't work. Um, what has worked? So I, I only at this stage use it for the uh, the comics, and it's exactly as you say. It's to try and draw attention because I'm in Australia. I can't go to comic cons in in the US, um, whereas this is like a virtual con, if you like, uh, and people from all around the world can can find me. Um, the first thing to say is it does take time. You need to run multiple campaigns over years and you steadily grow an audience. And one of the things is it's essentially a promise. So you're saying, I will give you this thing if you give me X amount of money. Um, so you have to deliver on that and you have to give them the thing. And if enough people have seen that you've done that over a few years, they think, okay, this guy's safe. Um, you know, we can back him. Um, in terms of the, so my last campaign, uh, uh, great fun. I, I, I made up my mind, all right, I'm going to really push this one and have as much fun as I can with it. Um, almost like a carnival sort of, <laughs> sort of environment. Uh, so I did a bunch of stuff. I actually gave away um, to backers, uh, four backers, uh, a win your own theme song competition, essentially. Ooh. So they won their own theme song. Some of them were like one, one's a, a, a guest speaker. So she used it as like her, her hype music before she comes <laughs> on. There's another couple that were, they're also comic creators and they used it for their own projects. Uh, one, one's a, a, a friend uh, named George who's got a comic called Super Duck. And so I did, I did a wacky style thing for Super Duck, um, which was, yeah, that was pretty cool. So yeah, did, did that. Um, I actually have a campaign coming up in next month in August um, for a, a, a uh, comic called Enmity, which is a sort of post-apocalyptic thing. The essential story is um, it's a it's a sixteen year old girl searching the post-apocalyptic wa- uh, wasteland to try and find her deadbeat dad, who happens to be Lucifer. And the whole post-apocalyptic world has come about because Lucifer got sick of his job and decided not to do it anymore. And as a result of that, you know, chaos ensues and all the rest of it. Anyway, so it's good fun. It's it's lots of action, lots of you know stuff going on. I've decided for that one, I'm going to produce the world's smallest feature film. So I'm going to um, get people to record themselves on their phone and then stitch them together and produce a, a, a very small post-apocalyptic kind of survival film 
um, for some of the backers. So I'm not sure how many yet, but yeah. So, and again, it's just a silly, silly idea. It won't go anywhere, but it'll be great fun. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm hoping people get involved um, with that. In terms of the thing that's worked the best, um, uh, having, you know, having a lot on offer is really good. So having a lot of books is really good. Uh, one of the things that I did in my last campaign, I opened it up and said, all right, you pay, you know, X amount of dollars um, to help pay for the artwork and you will co-write an issue of the last campaign was called Shadow's Daughter was the name of the, the series. Uh, you'll co-write an issue of Shadow's Daughter, an eight-page issue. Um, what you're paying will cover for the artwork. You'll get a co-writer credit. Um, it's published through my publisher, Marcosia. Um, so it'll be published worldwide. You'll get your name in there. So it was kind of a, a, a perk for people that were, they want to get into comic writing, but they, they're not really sure or they want to dip their toe or they want some help and guidance uh, sort of going through it. And it's an existing series. Um, that did really well. That, um, so that's something I'm looking more at. And it's great for me because it means I get more injection of ideas from other people because I'm, I'm flat out of ideas at this stage. You know, I think there were nine books in the series at that stage and I'm thinking, man, what am I going to do next? She finds a marshmallow man, you know, so um, <laughs> rather than do that, you know, in, get an injection of, of new ideas from people. It means they're invested. Um, it means they get a writer credit, but it also means I get more, more to the series that, that can expand. So I'm thinking I'll, I'll probably do that with Enmity as well, the, the next campaign. So that, that was good. But yeah, it is, it's a hard slog. It takes a lot of time and effort. It is not a bookstore, so you don't immediately get the money. So there's a certain amount that pledge, but for one reason or another, they drop out. So you don't, it's this thing that success looks bigger and better than what it is. So my last campaign was just shy of $10,000. Um, the reality of what you actually take away from that is is less than half. Wow. Uh, and the amount of money that the artwork costs to produce is an average issue maybe two uh, two and a half three thousand dollars minimum um upwards to sort of five thousand uh, for an indie comic so it's it's a huge investment over a long long period of time but it's also kind of amazing like when you see the artwork and the thing yeah it's pretty cool yeah anytime i see artwork that i could not produce i'm just like okay this is worth it <laughs> <laughs> it's it's great it's so good when the art comes i've got i've actually got art, art coming through as we're speaking from the enmity project the artist Ooh. is coloring the pages and every every hour a thing will come through and i'll look at oh yeah it just looks so good <laughs> yeah it's really really cool and this this segues nicely into another question i always like to ask which is a question you wish you were asked more frequently and you were talking about people giving you money but is there any way people can pay you more money for your work I'd love it. I'd love people to pay me more money for the work. It's one of these things that for for a lot of creators, it's a really hard thing to, for them to equate what they're doing with this is a product that I'm selling and it deserves to be paid for. You know, it, it's a really, most of us, I think, tend to be a bit more, I just want to create the thing. I want the thing to exist and I want people to read it or listen to it all. But the idea of charging someone money for this thing just feels wrong and horrible and that's not what i'm about and then but then the reality sinks in that's like man these things are three grand a pop y you know if i don't recoup my money i can't keep doing this thing um so it's this kind of um yeah i, I almost think like there's every creator needs to be sort of split down the middle and have two personalities one is the writer creator you know musician the other is the marketing 
bastard, if I can use that term. So just a guy that doesn't care about anything and is just, I will throw your face in front of everyone. <laughs> I will put this anywhere. I will charge any amount that I can. You almost need that sort of yin and yang of um, part of you that is shameless and wants to promote and everything because otherwise you it just... And that, and that was one of the good things about I started with music earlier uh, and started running a business and, you know, making uh, enough money to essentially pay for the artwork for the comics. But the experience of running a business was great because when I, I got to do the comic stuff, it, you are running a business. You're, you're paying contractors to do work for you. You get all the ups and downs of that. You get unreliable artists. You get amazing artists. You get some that are more expensive, some that are less, you know, um, you get the stresses of time, then you get contracts with, you know, um, publishers that are all different. And so it's all the complexities of running a business, which most creators aren't thinking, oh, yeah, it's going to be great, man. I'm going to write this awesome story and that that's it. And people are going to love it. And, it's, and then Netflix is going to knock on my door and say, hey, we want to give you many millions to make this into this amazing thing. It's just, it's just not like that um, at all. Uh, so to give you an example, I started writing a script yesterday for a new comic that's, that we're going to start, uh, in a couple of weeks. And the, that phase of writing the script and coming up with the idea, it's, it's a little bit agonizing coming up with the original idea, but once you've got the idea and the, you know, things start coming out, it's amazing. And I can see in my, in my head kind of the characters and they're really cool. The story it's, it's got some amazing, and I know that this artist will make the best of it because of his style it's um it's really really cool but already at this stage i'm thinking what's it going to cost how many am i doing because if i'm doing five of these and they're costing you know three or four thousand dollars each that's a huge investment of money how long is it going to take me to recoup that money can i run a kickstarter campaign for them because i have two other campaigns i have to run in the next six months so it will be you know a year until i can recoup money that way from it so there's, and, and then if I sign it to uh, a publisher, how soon are they going to want everything done because they want to make sure that the artist gets everything done and we don't break up or whatever the case may be. Um, so the business side of things does come in a lot. And that's something I think most people don't appreciate with, and, and most artists don't want to think about, but it is a very key part of what we do, unfortunately. We just, we need to go back to the olden days with it, where you have a patron. You just have this super rich person that just says, I like the stuff that you do. I'll just pay you to do it. And that's it. And, and you can just do that, you know, Michelangelo sort of style. <laughs> you can just do that or, or Da Vinci style, I should say. Um, yeah, that would be cool. So any patrons that are out there that just want to pay me to write weird stuff <laughs> and publish strange, weird stories, get in touch. You know, I'm, I'm available. Like it, like it. We'll we'll keep our eyes out for the patrons. Uh, maybe <laughs> maybe start a patron website or something where people can can network <laughs> like that. <laughs> All right. Well, Morgan, you're almost off the hook here, but we always like to wrap up with a top three and a patron, probably among the best gifts you could receive. But we're looking on the opposite end of the spectrum here: the crappiest gifts you've ever given or received. So one of them was a uh, we we had a deal with a, a mate of mine that every Christmas, it, it, the deal is it had to be under $3. So it was the worst possible gift you could find under $3. Um, I think he gave me uh, like a little pop gun sort of thing, like a little kind of Nerf, but before Nerf was, was a thing. Um, and I gave him a used doily, um, <laughs> which was, 
So I think I think I kind of I kind of won that one, but I did cheat. I didn't actually pay for it. I just found it and uh, and gave it to him. And it had a suspicious looking stain on it. That was pretty bad. Oh, the, other than that, I mean, you'd have to go with socks. Just, but not not good socks. Like bad socks with a uh, vaguely offensive message on them. I think I gave those to someone once. I can't remember what it was, but they were you know the socks. You get the messages on them and all that sort of stuff. And this was to someone that just wears plain socks every day, does not want to, you know, anything out there. And they were very bright, very colourful, and with some sort of obnoxious message. I can't remember what it was. Um, yeah. But the doily stands out as a, that's a classic. You know, <laughs> find yourself a doily or a, a used hanky or something. And <laughs> Oh, no, there is one. There, there is one. Okay, my son and I did this for, <laughs> for my brother. Uh there are two. So one, we wrapped it up very carefully in a can, in a box, in another box, in another box, all beautifully wrapped for Christmas. And it was a chocolate bar in a little bed of kitty litter made to look suspiciously like a cat turd. Um, and he had to unwrap all of these layers to get in there to get it. That was pretty amazing just to see his reaction and the disappointment in his face. That was great. Um, the other one we did previous year or, or a few years earlier was we had a big box and it was addressed to myself and my son uh, and and my brother. And so we opened it and inside were Nerf guns. So we just pulled them out and started um, firing them rapidly at him as much as we could. And that was pretty cool as well. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but he didn't get. I, I did get him another present after that. But yeah, they were pretty good. The cat turd one probably is is a good one. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of uh, putting a very tiny gift in a small box or in a series of small boxes. It's <laughs> right. like you said, the disappointment on their face. Oh, just, this is oh, huge! It's... It must be great. And then yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. I love it. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, if people want to learn more about you, I uh, want to hit you up for more terrible gift ideas or, or learn more about your work. Where can they find you? Uh, nice and easy. They just need to go to morganquay.com and uh, all my links and latest projects are there, as well as links to social media. So feel free to get in touch. Uh, I also do advanced reader copies for novels and some comics. So if you're the sort of person that likes to read and do reviews online, uh, you could snag yourself free copies of my stuff as well. Um, but that's all on morganquake.com. Fantastic. It. Well, Morgan, thank you again for taking the time to chat. This was a blast. Thanks so much for having me. It's great. And of course, we've got to end with a corny joke, as we already do, or as, or as we always do, I should say. And you kind of alluded to this, actually, before, but I, I, I like bringing it back full circle here. You know, being a writer keeps me in great shape. I'm always running out of ideas. Get after it today, people. <laughs> Good People, Cool Things is produced in Austin, Texas. If you were a fan of this episode, go ahead and hit that follow button. That helps more people hear the show. You can send me a message, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Thank you to all of the guests who have been on Good People, Cool Things. You can check out all the old episodes via goodpeoplecoolthings.com. As always, thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Lucky 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.